Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hey there, everyone. It's mighty kind of you to stop by. Now, I have quite a show set up for this evening. An episode crammed full of monsters, mysteries, and even a ghost or UFO or two. So I'd like to say I'd waste no time in getting started. But first... I can't help but notice the influx of strange things in our skies as of late. Some explainable, like the Starlink satellite program and the recent SpaceX Falcon 9 launch that also introduced a new Starlink into orbit. But then there's the unexplained, the hovering man seen over Los Angeles' LAX airport, seen on several occasions and the more recent American Airlines pilots that reported a near-miss with an unidentified flying object over New Mexico at 37,000 feet. But if you know anything about the paranormal, you would know that none of this is new. We've discussed many similar sightings to all of these accounts on the show at one point or another. Now, you see, the fact is we've been seeing strange things in the skies for a very long time and residents of a small Iowa town can certainly validate that claim. Back in 1903, a visitor changed the way residents of the tiny hamlet of Van Meter viewed the skies above them. A visitor that terrorized a town and nearly single-handedly put it on the map. The legend begins in a coal mine just outside of town, a mine already notorious for the strange sounds that emanated from its belly. A rumor among the kids in town was that a monster was responsible. Then, in late September of 1903, it no longer became a question if there was a monster. For five straight nights, the tiny town of Van Meter, Iowa, was under siege by an airborne creature unlike anything they'd ever seen. Now standing at over eight feet tall, this vaguely humanoid-shaped creature had a pair of massive leathery wings or its arms should be. The creature was also said to have a blunt horn in the center of its head that emitted a bright white light, similar to a spotlight. The creature was witnessed on four consecutive nights, all within the small town's limits. The first glimpse came from a traveling businessman. He saw it on the roof of the local bank. He alerted the manager, who not only saw it but shot at it through a decorated bank window. The following night, the town doctor was awakened by a choking sound and a strange light emanating from outside. When he peeked out his window, he became the third witness to this thing and the second to fire at it. Five times, in fact, 
Apparently, he missed because the creature showed no concern. The next evening, the hardware store owner also saw and, yes, shot at the creature. But unlike those trigger-happy residents before him, he managed to connect with his single shot. And you know I bet he wished he hadn't, because the creature attacked and released a noxious gas that wiped hours from the hardware store man's memory. And the fifth and final night of the ordeal began with a posse. But let's let an expert on the subject tell you how it went down. Here is author of The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown, Chad Lewis. They gather up a posse of men, everyone who they could gather to go out to the old brick and tile factory where the mine was. And they went out there and they waited about midnight as it got really dark they saw some creature fly off toward town they stayed out there and right before the sun came up they heard the sound of satan and a regiment of imps coming up out of the tunnel that's when they saw the creature fly in and it was now joined by an identical looking smaller creature another bat-like creature about four feet tall they shot at it they said they shot so many times it would have sunk the spanish fleet and the creature simply just shrieked at them and then descended into the coal mine. Then what happened? We don't know. It left off. The newspaper didn't finish the story. I apologize for the background noise there. That was filmed at the Van Meter Visitor Festival, held there each fall, and comes to us courtesy of Chasing Legends on YouTube. Well, Mr. Lewis may have dropped a clue for us when he stated, and that's where the article ended. Was this simply a story fabricated to sell papers? Or a misunderstood sighting of a large bird or something else altogether? If this were to be some sort of strange unknown flying creature, it's certainly not the first we've heard of that sort of thing. In fact, our first caller of the evening is a very similar tale. So without further hesitation, please welcome Connor out of Florida to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Connor from Central Florida. I'm just calling about a very weird incident that happened, I would say, in 2012, maybe. And it was about midnight, and my mom and I were driving to pick up my brother. He was working the night shift at a fast food restaurant. And we had to drive quite some time, and it was it was a cloudless night. It was, you know... Very typical for a summer night in Central Florida. And the area we drove by is very wooded. Now, it's not very deep. In this area, there is woods enough for deer and such, but nothing major. You know, you wouldn't find a Bigfoot in this area. But as I was looking outside the streetlights, that's something I used to do. As I was doing that, I noticed a shape climb up one of the light posts. It was white and it was small, maybe hmm, three, three and a half, four feet. And it's like it sensed the presence that the car was passing and it shimmied up the light post and went into the woods. It kind of just sat there and I straightened up in my seat. I was like, okay, I, I feel like I just saw something, but I'm not going to say anything. And after a few seconds, my mom was like, oh my goodness, did you see that? And I was like, yeah, I saw it. And we are like, what was that? It was, it 
it didn't move like I can't really say it was a bird. It didn't move in such a way. And it wasn't a bat because this object was far too large and it was white. But it moved in in the way of a bat. Like it it's like it climbed. It it's like it it's I would say its front legs are attached to its wings as a bat would. The way it climbed. I didn't see a face, but it just the closest thing I could describe it is the larger alien from Cloverfield. If you remember that movie, and there's the giant like alien that is wreaking havoc upon New York City. It looked like that, but on a much smaller scale. Now, this is just a short thing. I don't really know what it could be. I doubt it could be a plastic bag. There was no wind, certainly. And... I just can't really shake that it would be something like paper or any living thing. Well, that's my story. I don't know if you'd be able to use this or not, but I love the show, Derek. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. For those not familiar, the Cloverfield creature resembles a very large bat with its skin removed. It's long, pinkish, has backward-facing hind legs. There's just not much out there that looks like it. But it's Connor's inability to describe the creature clearly that reminded me of an encounter submitted to Lon Strickler's site Phantoms and Monsters just last week. The entry goes as follows. Several years ago, my brother was a pastor at a Baptist church on Highway 90 in Dusan, Louisiana. He and his wife lived in a trailer house on the church property. They got home one evening after dark and saw a possum that had been eating their cat food. The possum ran out across the back of the church parking lot, which was lit by security lights, and stopped by the base of a tree about 50 yards from their back door. My brother decided he was tired of this animal eating the cat food. He opened the back door and grabbed his scoped 22 rifle, turned off the lights in the house, and got in a prone shooting position on the floor. He could see the possum at the base of the tree, Its eyes were shining in the light of the security lamps. He decided he would wait until the possum came closer for a clean kill shot. The possum did proceed back towards his house, but stopped under the light in the middle of the parking lot. That's when he was shocked by the next series of events. The possum morphed into a humanoid figure about six feet tall with a very small head. It was very thin and had arms and legs like a human, but also very thin. It began to pace back and forth across the parking lot, but always looking in his direction. He said he could see its eyes shining, and he knew that it knew he was there, even though he was in the dark. He said he was totally creeped out, but decided to wait and see what happened next. It morphed back into a possum and ran back to its original position at the base of the tree. A few minutes later, his wife came out of the shower wrapped in a towel, and he told her she needed to see something. She got into a prone position next to him and he directed her to look at the base of the tree where the possum's eyes were shining. He told her to be very still and watch it with him. He said he waited for her to witness something but did not tell her what he had seen. Shortly after, the possum again came out into the middle of the parking lot and morphed into the humanoid shape once again. His wife freaked and asked him what it could be. She thought she was looking at a demon. A few seconds later, they heard a loud rustling sound coming from it 
and then two feathered wings spread out from its back. He said the wingspan was at least 12 feet. It then started flapping its wings and rose off the ground and hovered at about 15 feet, all the while still looking at them. It then gained altitude and flew towards his house and over his roof. He said they could hear its wings flapping. He said he ran outside and looked back over the top of his house and he could see it heading away from them in the moonlight. It then turned and flew back over the house and kept flying until they could no longer see it. Now perhaps the reason Connor couldn't identify or even describe it completely was because the creature was morphing in shape the entire time. Now of course that detail opens up all sorts of rabbit holes and we've spent enough time on winged weirdies for now. So I'll let your imagination fill in all the blanks here. And if you've seen something similar or any strange true paranormal account, I want to hear from you. Call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now our next entry takes us to my neighbor to the east. Please welcome Matt from Arizona to the show. Hey Derek, this is Matt from Safford, Arizona. I got a big cat story for you. About 2017... My wife and I decided to have a, just a real quick camp trip up on the mountain where we live. And she got off work later that, that night, so I went up there, set up camp. It's the off-season of camping, so there's not anybody in this campsite. I don't have a fire going or anything yet, but I'm there. I'm having a couple beers waiting for her to get off. It's about 10.30 at night. She finally gets up there. Uh, I start hacking away at some firewood. We hear some, some rustling coming down the hillside. Uh, this mountain is called Mount Graham. The Apaches, local Indians, refer to it as a sky island. A chain of mountains that run north and south through uh, Arizona and Mexico. They're kind of patchy and scattered out. But anyways, there's bobcats, bears, uh, cougars, uh, small deer uh, come through there. So I holler at it, thinking, you know, whatever it is, going to let them know I'm there. They're going to know soon enough when I light this fire. But it just goes quiet, and then I hear a very distinct growl, and then a big cat scream, you know, like a giant cat screaming. Well, it scared us half to death, never lit the fire. I happen to always have a handgun on me when I'm out and about, but this night I had a, a rifle in the truck. I grabbed the rifle. I told my wife, I said, get in your car. She got in her car. She took off. I got in my truck. Close the tailgate, down the mountain we go. So frightened that I actually left my favorite hatchet next to that campfire site. Anyways, I know this was a cat. And I know we have cougars in the area. But uh, interesting thing is, is that same year, not far from where I'm located, about 20 miles on the next mountain range, trail cameras caught uh, jaguars coming up from Mexico. Another part of the story is, is some of the local hunters were reciting tales of finding deer carcasses up in trees and stuff like that. Well, being from where we're from, you know, cougars are really elusive. They don't usually howl at you. They might stalk somebody every once in a while, but you hardly ever see them. And definitely they don't haul carcasses up in trees as far as I've ever seen. Yeah, you can look it up. The uh, article was in a newspaper. Just look up Dos Cabezas or Sierra Vista, Arizona, trail camera jaguars. 
yeah, probably, probably a cougar came into camp, but uh, just maybe that was a jaguar because, like I said, cougars don't ever really do that. Anyways, uh, my big calf story. Uh, have a good night, sir, and uh, thanks for the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I love a good big cat story. Although, I wished you'd sat in your vehicle a bit to see what popped out. I know that's easy for me to say. Here is a sound that I assume was similar to what Matt heard. A grown male jaguar. Why did he come up here? I know. You want to go talk back there? Now that was a captive black jaguar named Magnum. And he is quite intimidating. And Matt is correct, the jaguar are making a return to its historic range, which could put it as far north as Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And yeah, a male jaguar can get up to seven feet long from the nose to the base of the tail, and weigh in at well over 200 pounds. But sadly, I think the true monster here is the human beast. One of the previous and believed to be the first roaming male jaguars to be photographed in Arizona was back in 2016 when researchers got a male on a game cam in the Huachuca Mountains of Arizona. Now, unfortunately, in 2018, a conservation group charged with protecting these creatures received word that the male was shot and killed by a local farmer or rancher. They even had the preserved pelt to prove it. So, Matt... It was probably pretty good of you to be on guard, but from what I gather, a jaguar attack is incredibly rare. I think they should probably be much more weary of us. Thanks again for the entry. This next one takes us in an entirely different direction. Katie, welcome back to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Katie from Virginia again. I know the last time I called you, I shared like a witch's pond story and a story about a old slave cemetery back where I used to grow up in Maryland. Well, I have another quick story for you. This all took place in Virginia where I live, right in Lexington, Virginia. And there was this tunnel. This happened around October 19th of last year. Me and my boyfriend and some of our friends went to this tunnel. It's called Poor Farmhouse Road or something like that. Um, If you're familiar with the Virginia Military Institute and everything in Lexington, you can always look up haunted places around there and it'll pop up in Google or whatever. But we ended up going down there one night. We were having some friends over and some of our friends left and ending to a night to a good barbecue and stuff and sitting around a campfire and just talking about, you know, what we could do. And um, one of my friends said, hey, we should go to this old cemetery right down the road. So we went right down the road to this old cemetery. And my friend Tracy was talking about this place where she has been paranormal investigating at for she went there and she actually saw a lot of things there. I mean, the tunnel was really long and 
it was wide and it was just really creepy when we got there it just gave you that unsettling feeling like somebody was watching you and we got there things happened to put it bluntly my boyfriend had three scratch marks all over his neck the whole entire time he was down there because I could see them he was not touching his neck at all it was weird it was freaky I mean he definitely demonic definitely demonic I'm not going to lie to you and say it wasn't because I know that it was funny thing is when we were on our way back home and we dropped everybody off I just felt this hate towards him like, I didn't, I, I didn't want to talk, talk to him I didn't want to touch him I felt like I wanted to kill him. I felt like I wanted to cut his throat open. And I've never felt any feelings like that towards anybody in my life. And Hayden, my boyfriend, actually stopped in front of a church. And she said, get out. And I told him no. And when we got home, I was perfectly fine. But after that, like, we've had, like, strange shadow people in our house. We've had, like, random things just, like, happen. And our dogs noticed it, too, because we have two dogs. And just really creepy. But I know I'm cutting it to five minutes, but thank you again for sharing another one of my stories. I really appreciate your podcast, and just thank you. It, you give us a, a voice to share our paranormal and everything, all of our experiences. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. I guess in hindsight, this was probably a hometown legend submission. But regardless, it sounds like an eerie situation. Now, I can't say I've ever seen anything like what Katie described, but there is no shortage of these sort of experiences on the many ghost hunting programs sprinkled across cable television. So I don't know what this phenomenon is exactly, but it certainly seems to be popular. And the detail about the three scratch marks, that too sounds familiar. So thanks again, Katie, for taking the time to share your tale. Now before we move on, a quick reminder that you can hear additional episodes and bonus content over at our Patreon page. The $1 level gives you access to a handful of shows. The $4 level gives you all the shows. And the $8 level gives you access to my sleep aid readings, Night with Edgar Allan Poe. By the way, if you are a subscriber to Knights of Poe, download the files and pledge back down to the $4 level. I do not intend on releasing any more Poe readings until the creepy season is again upon us. But by all means, download, save, and play away. So find your level at patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. Oh, and the latest episode is the most recent rewind episode where I sat down with Graveyard Tales' Adam Ballinger for a great discussion about the paranormal in Texas. Now from ghosts to minor possession to a freaky little slip in time, please welcome Susan from Arkansas to the airwaves. Hey Derek, this is Susan again from Northwest Arkansas by way of California. I was listening to one of your prior broadcasts, which is my usual, and uh, I remembered a gentleman using the term of uh, a slip in time, 
you know, where he slipped, he thought, maybe into an alternate parallel universe. And it reminded me, jogged my memory, about a time when, again, living in the Atascadero area, I regularly took my son, who was about 15 and 16, to the beach to surf at least three times a week. It's just a short, you know, drive, so we would go frequently, especially when the weather was good. And uh, we had done that, and we had come back into town, and I had to stop by the bank and conduct some banking business. I knew everybody in the bank. It was a small bank, and I'd been banking there for years, so I actually knew individuals. But we'd pull up into the parking lot, and it was just so bizarre, because it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, in the middle of the week. And the parking lot, which is usually packed, only had one car, and it was some distance away from the bank. The bank was a kind of a mission, California mission style, and they had a, a little archway over their door that, you know, was a small, like, entryway. And they had bars on that, that that they closed at night or when they weren't open. And those were up. And I looked at my son and I said, is it a holiday? Or it was just so strange. There was nobody. Nobody on the street. It was just so bizarre. And I looked and I went, well, I don't know. So I guess they were closed and we just had no idea. It was probably about two or three in the afternoon. And it was a really nice day. It was bright, sunny blue, like the central coast can get with just those perfect beach days. So even inland, 20 miles is great. I think we went home and, and uh, we cleaned up a little bit and I had to go to the store. So before I left the house, I picked up the phone and I called the bank and talked to one of the young ladies there who I was well acquainted with. And I said, are you guys open today? And she goes, well, yes, Susan, we've been open all day. And I said, well, I was just there and there was nobody in the, no cars in the parking lot. Your bars were over your entrance. Did you guys close down for a while or something? And she goes, no, we have not closed the doors today. And she goes, in the parking lot's full. So maybe 10, 15 minutes later, after our initial visit to the bank, my son came with me again and we went there and I conducted my banking business and trying to tell this young teller that, you know, this is what had happened and they were, they just thought it was hysterical. But I felt like that was truly a little slip in time. I love that term. And I love your broadcast. Keep doing what you're doing. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Thank you, Susan. Other stories always trip me up as well. There's always something romantic about the idea of momentarily slipping into another time just to get a glimpse of another era. Although I'm certain that's not the sentiment of most experiencers of this phenomenon. But perhaps it lessens these momentary time travelers' concerns simply to know that we find these tales so fascinating. Thanks again, Susan, for sharing yours. Now, you guys would probably think that I'm getting near the end, but frankly, we're just getting started. So to kick off this back half, please welcome our anonymous caller from the streets of Bakersfield. Hi, Derek. Love the show. Long-time listener, first-time caller. This story's from 2015. I used to live in Bakersfield, California, and I kind of lived on the outskirts of town. I'm on the east side, pretty close to the mountain area, you know, canyon. 
One night, me and my ex-boyfriend were taking some friends back to their house, and on our way back to my house, we saw this huge light really low in the sky, you know, too big to be a planet. I mean, just, just huge. And I asked, what is that? And, you know, this guy was uh, very logical, not even the kind of guy to entertain anything, you know, like UFOs. And he was super perplexed as well, but, you know, didn't really want to talk about it. And I was just freaking out, just staring at it, obsessed with it. So we get back to the house. We both go out into the backyard to get a better look at it and just keep looking at it. And it started, this this light, it started to lower down these beams of light that looked almost like DNA strands, uh, you know, kind of floating like or moving the way that tentacles would in water. It was multicolored light, but it wasn't moving like light. And it started to extend these two tentacle-like things down, like in a direction towards us. And, you know, it took us a, a long time just being mesmerized by it before, you know, we both started picking up on the fact that the light was moving towards us in the backyard. And I just got this horrible, overwhelming feeling that something really bad was going to happen if that light got to me. And, it, you know, I kind of got the sense that there was this intelligence there. I just got this horrible feeling. And so we just went in the house and we didn't look outside again. And, you know, eventually we just went to sleep and that's, that was it. But it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. And there's no way that human beings could have invented anything like that. I mean, it was, it was just insane. So yeah, that's my crazy UFO story. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. All right. Bye. Thanks, caller. I know that area pretty well. I passed through there on my way to my favorite little river town. It's a strange area. A lot of big rocks, flowing water, cliffs. It's one of those places that gives off a odd vibe. So it's no surprise to me that something strange would show up over there. And the description of what did show up is something we've definitely heard of before. In fact, in that Rewind episode with Adam of Graveyard Tales, we shared a call from Wendy in Texas who described seeing something eerily similar all the way back in the 1960s. Hello, my name is Wendy, and when I was growing up in 1968, my parents and I lived at the McDonald's Observatory right outside of Fort Davis, Texas, right up on top of the mountain where the astronomers lived. Uh, My parents ran this place called the Longhouse where the astronomers would stay while they were doing their two-week observations on whatever planets or stars or galaxies or whatever they were studying. And I remember I was eight years old. Our house was split level where we lived and it looked out over a valley. And I remember waking up, looking out the living room windows and it was just at daybreak. And I was looking at a a diamond-shaped Whirling UFO, and it was below the mountain ridge line across the way that I was looking at. And I remember feeling really scared and nervous because I was out of bed, and I, you know, I thought my parents would be mad at me because I was out of bed because it was so early in the morning. It was just starting to get to be dawn, so I went back down and went to bed. So I just thought that was an interesting 
UFO experience. And uh, thank you for letting me give my experiences. Bye. I don't know. Maybe not quite as similar as I'd hoped, but the double helix diamond shape is gaining in popularity. As of yet, I haven't made any guesses as to what these possibly could be. So now, I guess we simply wait for the next report. Thanks again, caller, and thank you, Wendy, for your entry. Now our next tale takes us back to where this all started. Please welcome our anonymous caller from the Hawkeye State to the show. Hi, Derek. This is the repeat offender from Iowa. And the more and more that I think back on my childhood, the more I think I might have had quite a few more paranormal experiences than most people might have. Um, And one of them I was just thinking about today because I've been watching, (laughs) I've been watching Ghost Adventures and they went to the Missouri State Penitentiary in one episode. And I've actually been there too. My family took a trip to Missouri, had to have been seven or eight years ago, and we all went to the Missouri State Pen. And I remember this day very, very clearly because we walked into the gas chamber, the execution chamber as part of this tour. And I remember it was my family and maybe a few other people And we walked into the chamber and everybody else was fine, like totally, completely fine. And my head started getting fuzzy and suddenly everything just felt very heavy and there was this pit in the middle of my chest and I got very sad very quickly. And I actually left the chamber crying. I didn't stay in as long as everybody else did. And it was just very interesting to me watching this episode of Ghost Adventures because one of the guys on the team had the same experience walking into that gas chamber and like they they went through the history of it they've completely cleaned out the chamber they've let it air out for a long long time it hasn't been in use for many many years so it's totally safe there's no leftover gas there that could be affecting people this way and they actually attributed that feeling of that uncomfortable feeling to possibly spiritual energy and it just occurred to me that maybe that was what was going on with me that day So I hope you can use this. I found it very interesting to think about. So, yeah. All right. Goodbye. Thank you for the work you do. Thanks, caller. Several repeat offenders tonight. And for those newbies, that's my old nickname for folks that have more than one experience to share. Which, as it turns out, is a lot of you. Now, caller, I don't claim to know much about psychic abilities. But it wouldn't surprise me a bit... If at some point you learn you're an empath or some other sensitive type. I suppose my suggestion here would be to pay attention to your emotional and physical state the next time you find yourself in such a place, should that ever happen. Either way, thanks again. And I've linked to that episode of Ghost Adventures in the show notes if you'd like to see what the prison and gas chamber looked like. Or if you simply want to see grown men squeal at noises in the dark. Okay, real quick. If extra episodes are not your bag, then perhaps you'd be interested in some Monsters Among Us gear. Visit monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop and support your favorite podcast in style. Now our upcoming anonymous caller has a lighthearted tale. And let me tell you, with what we have coming down the pike... 
I think we're going to need the palate cleanser. Hey, Derek. Got an interesting call for you. Kind of funny, too. In 2010 to 2012, before I joined the military, I was street racing quite often. Well, a friend of mine passed away in 2013 by the name of Roy. That same year, I was at Not Scary Farm, and there was a sidekick who you could go to and they could read your poems, do all that kind of stuff. And I never have given any clout to sidekicks or any of that kind of stuff, really, even though I've seen my fair share of accurate things done by them. But I never really wanted to pay for them to do what they do. Well, this one particular psychic stepped out of her tent and came up to me. She said, do you know there's somebody following you? I was with a group, so I said, oh, yeah, you know, I have my uh, fiancé and some of our friends are here with us. So, yeah, she's like, no, a spirit. And I said, oh, really? And I asked her to describe the spirit. And she described Roy to a T. And then I was like, oh, yeah, he sounds familiar. I mean, he didn't have a, you know, the craziest description of all, you know, he didn't have any crazy stars, just a little scruffy beard in his late 30s, early 40s, nothing crazy. So I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. She's like, well, his name is Roy. And then she said his last name, too. And I was like, there's no way this girl could know this. I'm in California. He died in Texas earlier this year. There's no way that this random person in California would know this. So I was like, okay, cool. And, you know, he, I'd had some things get moved around my house. And it's one of the things he always did when I went over there is he'd move my stuff around. So I'd always kind of figured he was around. Well, one particular day, I got into a buddy's Corvette. It was a very nice one, actually. It was 67. And this guy pulls up next to me on the freeway, and I was driving around. And I looked over in the passenger seat. Nothing was there. But then I heard, don't. It was his voice. And he told me, don't. I didn't take off racing with this guy. I just kind of revved my engine while this guy took off. And right after that, cop pulls out from behind a sign and pulls over that guy. And I just thought it was hilarious because Roy was always able to find cops all the time when we'd be racing or anything like that. He'd be like, nope, not racing today. There's cops around. And we'd always, how do you know that? So it was just uh, an interesting thing that I heard, you know, Roy tell me don't because he knew I wanted to race this guy so bad in this car. You know, I couldn't afford that ticket at that time, so I'm really glad I, I listened to, to Roy at that time. Anyway, just a short little story. Thought it was funny. Thought you might use it one day. Love your podcast. Keep it up, man. Bye. Thanks, Scholar. Now, if you're going to go out and get yourself haunted, I can't think of a better way to make some lemonade from your paranormal lemons. I guess it would sort of be like a radar detector that never needs a power source. But on a serious note, having lost a lot of people in my life in recent years, I know how much little occurrences like these mean to people that are grieving. So I'm happy our caller was able to experience his. And thank you again for sharing the submission. And when you know, just like that, we find ourselves near the end of this little journey. And I've saved one of my favorite subject matters for last. It's been some time since we've heard a call like Lloyd's. But with calls like his, it usually only takes one to chill your blood. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lloyd from New Mexico. Hi, Derek. My name is Lloyd. I live in New Mexico. My story took place years ago when I was still in the Air Force and stationed in Upper Michigan. I used to drive. I'm from West Virginia, so I used to drive from Upper Michigan to West Virginia on leave. And on one of these occasions, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, my wife and I usually drove at night because we had an infant and we, we would travel at night, so she slept. And I was driving along Upper Michigan. Uh, I think it was M28, maybe M35, I don't know. Um, it's called the Sini Stretch. It's uh, about a 10-mile stretch of road where there's absolutely nothing. I mean, Upper Michigan does, is sparsely populated anyhow, but there's nothing but cedar swamps on either side. It was 2 in the morning, and usually when I drove, I didn't listen to any music or anything else like that. I usually uh, just kind of got lost in my thoughts. And uh, I was driving along, and way up ahead of me in the road, what I saw looked like a wolf that was either in the middle of the road taking a crap or it was hovering over some roadkill or something like that. So I slowed down, I let off the gas, and I was slowing the car down, hoping this wolf would you know, finish what it was doing and, and get off the road. But it, it just sat there for, for a very long time. And uh, as I got closer and closer and closer, I mean, my speed was eventually down to five miles an hour or below. And I was probably about 50 feet-ish, maybe a little more away from it. And I noticed that it wasn't a wolf. It had a canine head and a sort of canine-ish body from its head to its midway down its mid-body. It had rough fur like a wolf would have, kind of grayish, blackish, what have you. And from mid-body the rest of the way, it was smooth coat. And it wasn't doing what I thought it was doing. It was actually just kind of sitting in the road, but it was, it was sitting almost like an ape would sit. And the thing was enormous. If it would have stood up, it would have been well over seven feet tall. So like I said, my car is slowing down a whole lot. The thing just kind of sat there for a minute, then it, it looked straight at me, and I, I remember it had uh, yellow eyes, and it, it looked at me like it kind of considered me for a minute, and then it got up and walked off the road to the right, and when it walked off the road, it walked like an ape off into the cedar swamp. And of course, like I said, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning, I was lost in my thoughts, and my brain wasn't really registering everything at the moment, but uh, it wasn't until after I got just past it that, you know, my brain kicked back in. It was like, what in the hell did I just see? You know, I locked the doors and stomped it and, and got out of there. Um, years later, years later, I had divorced and remarried, what have you, but my, my current wife, this was in, this happened probably, oh, I want to say I left K.I. Sawyer Air Force Base in Upper Michigan in 92, so it had to have been like 90, maybe 1990 is when this happened. Um, later on in life, around 2008, my current wife, she had had carpal tunnel surgery, and on one of her follow-up visits, I went with her, and while she was in seeing the doctor, I sat out in the waiting room and was looking through a popular uh, science magazine, and off on a sidebar, there was a drawing, a hand drawing of... Uh, the thing that I saw. And I read the article, and this article was submitted by a lady from Upper Michigan who had seen this, and it kind of confirmed that I wasn't totally crazy. I mean, I know I'm crazy, but not totally crazy. But uh, anyhow, she had seen the same thing that I did in Upper Michigan, and with a little bit of research, I think I called into a coast-to-coast -coast show when they had a cryptozoologist on there one time, and, and what I had seen apparently was the Michigan Dogman. 
I haven't seen anything like that since, but I hope to. I, my, my current wife and I plan, I, like I said, I live in New Mexico now, but uh, we, we plan a trip to Upper Michigan just to go dogman hunting in, in the very near future. So I hope to see it again. I don't want to be as close as I was to it because apparently these things aren't friendly. They're quite aggressive. Anyhow, that's my, my little tidbit. Thank you, Lloyd. It probably says a lot about the kind of person that I am that I got excited over the thought of a dogman scat sample. Now, I did my best to find the article and drawing that Lloyd referenced. If you happen to know the source, hit me up and I'll distribute to everyone else. But I was unable to find it. Although, it does sound like it has dogman expert Linda Godfrey's fingerprints all over it. In fact, if the subject fascinates you, pick up one of her books and you'll thank me later. Now on to the sighting. The first time I heard this story, I immediately thought of a dogman-type sighting shared on the hit series Monster Quest. The season 1, episode 13 installment about werewolves of Michigan and Wisconsin. The following events took place outside Honey Creek, Wisconsin in 1994. We went out on a Friday night to a fish fry, actually. It was a clear night. There's a bridge that we have to go across, and you have to make a left-hand turn right after the bridge. And I spotted something on the bridge in my headlights. I stopped approximately 20, 25 feet from the creature. I think I may have said, oh my God, what is that? Had his back to us at first, and swung around and looked right in the car. I made eye contact with it. 600 pounds, 700, I don't know, but it was huge, over seven foot tall. As far as the fur, it was reddish brown. The eyes were black. It didn't just vanish into nowhere, it jumped off of a bridge. It's like, I can't believe you saw that, you know, what was that? Did we really see that thing, you know, even? Did you see that? Now, Monster Quest actually did three separate Dogman-themed programs. If you haven't seen them, I think you really should. Now, as you heard with your own ears, both of these stories are quite similar. Quick, fleeting glimpses of something vaguely familiar, yet equal parts mysterious and terrifying. Similar in the sense that we've seen beasts like this on film, television, and even in Halloween and horror attractions. An image most of us would identify as a werewolf. But my science-minded listeners know that It's genetically impossible to create a living being with mixed human and canine DNA, let alone a 50-50 mix of the species, able to survive on its own. And we also know wolves don't walk upright, at least not for long distances. Sure, I hear you. A wolf with an injured front paw may walk on its hind legs for a few awkward steps, but that's not at all what any of our witnesses are reporting. So... What is it that we're left with? What type of creature could we be dealing with here? What type of creature would be found in these locations and fit this description? Now, since I've never shied away from explaining one mystery with another, please allow me to pose this question. Could this be the other well-known upright hominid creature rumored to roam our backcountry? There are some Sasquatch researchers out there that claim there are several variants to the Bigfoot species. Bigfoot, skunk ape, grass man, 
are not just some local colloquialisms for the same creature, in their opinion, but rather each name distinguishing its own version of the animal. And wouldn't you believe there's a proposed variant with a long, dog-like, or even baboon-like snout? A creature some in the field call a Type 3 variant, meaning the third and probably strangest type of this supposed species. And I know what you're thinking. I'd love to get a look at one of these things. Well, thanks to a mysterious man in Quebec, Canada, you just might be able to. Back in June of 1995, an unknown man snapped a series of photos while touring the Seven Shoots Park near St. George's, Debouche, Canada. Shoots referring to the shortcuts in river bends, cut by erosion. Now, once his photos were developed, he noticed something peculiar in the bottom right-hand corner of photo number 32. The creature, as it appears to be, seems upright, tall, and covered with what appears to be hair of varying color reflectiveness. And the creature's bent left arm appears to be a small white dog. But the creature seems to be holding the canine carelessly and upside down, suggesting it may not be alive. But what makes this photo the most interesting is the face this creature has. Although the thing resembles your typical image of a Sasquatch, its snout is elongated giving it the appearance of a baboon or werewolf, or perhaps even the dogman. The photo has grown in popularity over the years, and has even resulted in a gnarly nickname, the Beast of Seven Shoots. Now, I've linked to a very good breakdown of this photo in the show notes, so go have a look and tell me what you think. And I don't know, Lloyd. I have no doubt that you saw something what that something was, that remains to be known. But thank you for the amazing entry. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party going by joining us on social media. We have accounts at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, and I'm now found on Cameo. The terrifying music heard in this episode was provided by Co.ag Music and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Fine. I ran a little experiment. You've made your voices quite clear. You miss the bonus story at the end. Well, if that's what makes your day, who am I to deny you from it? So tonight's top secret entry comes to us from the state of Washington, but takes place in my old stomping grounds back in Ohio. Please welcome Mark 
to the show. Hi, Derek. My name is Mark, and I'm calling from southeastern Washington State. But I wanted to share with you what happened when I was about 11 or 12. It would have been about 1977 or 1976. And my family and I were living in a little town outside of Columbus, Ohio. And my twin brother and I were in the Cub Scouts. We made friends with one other kid in our den, and we used to spend a week during the summer with him and his parents at a small lake house, more of a cabin, on Buckeye Lake out near Licking County. Their house was in a small grove right near Cranberry Bog, just a small cove of about seven small cabins with docks. Then one morning, my brother and our friend decided they wanted to go swimming at a sandbar, but I had gotten sunburned pretty badly the day before and wanted to just stay on the dock and fish for bluegills. So they took the boat and off they went. I then grabbed an old coffee can and a shovel from the shed and walked down to the dead end of the road to a small grove of trees to dig for bait. Now this grove of trees was not that big and it butted up against a split rail fence that opened up to a large hay field. You could hear lots of insects buzzing around and there were an occasional boat motor sounds coming from the lake. And I remember starting to dig for worms when all of a sudden everything went quiet and it felt like I was being watched. So I stood up and then I smelled the most awful smell, sort of like a skunk mixed with stagnant water and rotten chicken meat. I looked around and I didn't see anything, but I remember hearing a growl. I told myself it was an old straight dog, but the smell just kept getting stronger and stronger. And I just got a sense that I needed to get out of there. So I ran back to the house and threw the coffee can in the shed, and I just sat in a lawn chair on the dock waiting for my brother and our friend to return from swimming. I never told them about what happened, even when they asked why I didn't get worms like I promised so that we could fish in the evening. I've heard stories about sightings out in that part of Ohio of the grass man, and I don't know if that's what I encountered, but every time I smell or I think about that type of smell, it still gives me the chills. And I remember that so distinctly, that what I experienced so distinctly, I still get scared about it. Thanks, Derek, I appreciate it. I don't know if it was the grass man, but it still freaks me out to think about that. And I really definitely felt like I was in danger. Thanks, Mark. I know Buckeye Lake pretty well. I have a cousin that lives right on the water, in fact. I also once worked in radiation at the nearby Air Force base that once operated there. But I'd be lying if I said I expected to hear a grassman encounter out of that area. But you know, maybe I shouldn't be surprised. The wildly popular Bigfoot hotspot in that area, Salt Fork State Park, is only an hour's drive away, and there have been reports of that area describing creatures like this for hundreds of years. But having grown up essentially between these two locations, I can't say I've ever experienced anything I would attribute to the grass man. I've seen some strange things, but not that strange. And aside from a strange sound my neighbor once shared with me, I don't know anyone with an experience either. Or should I say, I didn't. I was talking with my dad on the phone the other day, and he told me a story that blew my mind and at the same time frustrated me to no end. See, Dad still lives in that location. And a few weeks back, they received about 10 inches of snow. 
And that morning, Dad fired up his front-end loader tractor and cleared his 100-yard-long driveway. While he was pushing snow around, he noticed a trackway unlike anything he'd ever seen. He said it began by the plowed road and ran down to the corner of the garage that's attached to the house, then down over the yard and into hundreds of acres of wooded farmland. The tracks, he said, were large, bigger than his foot, but that wasn't the strange part. The thing that caught him off guard was the fact that, despite trudging through ten inches of snow, each step was at least six feet from the other. Now here is where my frustration comes in. I asked him if he got off the tractor to take a closer look. He did not. Though he claimed the tracks collapsed in on themselves to the point where most of the detail would be lost at the bottom. So then I asked, well, surely you snapped a photo with that $800 camera you keep in your pocket. Needless to say, we will just have to take his word for it. But if his description is accurate, the list of suspects in that area, capable of creating a trackway like that, is mighty short. So thanks again, Mark, for sharing your entry. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night.